0: Well, good morning. And like Pastor David said this morning, happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Great to have you with us this week as we move into Passion Week, which means we are a week away from Easter. And uh, we are very excited about what uh, we're expecting God to do this Easter weekend. And uh, excited, you know, we we talk about Easter here. and, And I may have said this before, you may have heard this before, but I think it's important to remember that when we talk about Easter, we're not just wanting to invite people or even have a service. Or we just come together and play some songs and hear a talk and kind of go about our regular routine. But we really do want to have an encounter with Jesus. Amen? And an encounter with not just Jesus, but the resurrection power of Jesus. And so uh, that's what we're believing God for this Easter. And so as we move into this season, I, I just want to encourage you to move into Passion Week purposeful. Like this is that, this is that time. Like you've been praying. We've been believing God. Maybe you've, maybe you've put out an invitation to somebody and it wasn't received very well, and you're not really sure, I want to encourage you with boldness to keep going after that person, to keep pursuing them, because I really do believe that there are some people that are going to come. Uh, into a, like a head-to-head kind of crashing moment where they crash into the love of God. They crash into the power of God. They crash into what it looks like to be a part of what the people of God in the house of the Lord are doing together. And so uh, let's be praying this week. Let's be inviting this week. I'll make sure that, you know, hopefully you've, you've made a plan to serve in one of our services. We've got five services this weekend. And just a reminder that like this service won't be an option next week, just so you know, and not just because I don't want you coming to the middle service, but, but the actually 11 o'clock service isn't a thing next week, okay? Our service times are completely shifting outside of one. So we have a four o'clock on Saturday. That's a busy service. If you can avoid that one, that would be great. We have a five, uh, let me look at these times here. I need to know these times. I should know these times. 545 on Sunday. That's a good one for you to come to if you want to attend one. We have an 8.30 a.m., the 10.15, that's a busy service. You should avoid that one like, like it's the plague, like you could catch something if you go to that one, uh, unless, unless you're, you're bringing somebody, and that's the best service that works for them. I, I get it. And, but just know this. Most people that are going to come next weekend, that's the service. That's like the prime service. That's the one they're going to want to attend, and we want to make as much room as possible. Look around this room right now. This is not Easter, and if you look around this room, it is a full room, not a lot of seats in this room. And so we don't want anyone coming next week and being turned away, having to go to overflow for Easter. Like, we don't want that. So so do us a favor. Do do other people a favor and and avoid this service at at all costs if you can. And then we've also got the 12 o'clock service next week. So we're praying, we're inviting, we're bringing, we're serving, amen, and we're attending. And I also want to encourage you, uh, on Wednesday this week, we have midweek prayer. And we're going to be praying specifically for this Easter weekend. And not just what God's going to do here at New Song, but what God's going to do globally. I believe that there's a bunch of people that are going to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, I would love for you to come and to intercede for what God can do this Easter weekend. I'd love to see this place full. Our, our attendance at, at Midweek Prayer has been great. It continues to grow. But I'd love to pack this place out this this Wednesday. So if at all possible, whatever you can do, uh, skip lunch, whatever, get here with us so that we can pray. Or you can also... Join us online. Also, a reminder: we have Good Friday on at six o'clock. We're doing that. It's an online service. Don't show up here; we won't be having service here. It's online. Uh, you can go to the new song webpage and or the YouTube page, and you can you can tune in with us. Uh, but it's going to be a, a time of worship. We're going to have worship. We're going to reflect on the cross, and uh, we're going to take communion together. So make sure you got some elements to take communion with. And uh, one of the things we're doing is we're going to get together with some people that we love. Some some Family and friends, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have dinner together. We're gonna hang out together. We're gonna watch the service together. And I want to encourage you to to maybe throw a Good Friday party and invite some people. And let's be the body of Christ, Amen. We're a family, right? So let's let's get some family around the communion table and let's celebrate what God is doing. And the next weekend, we're starting a brand new series called "What Lies Beneath." We're gonna be talking about the thing beneath the thing. Okay, so I'm just going to tease you with it, but just make sure you're there. That's going to start the week after Easter. It's going to be really good. All right, if you got your Bible, go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. You guys good? You feeling good? Hey, would you help me welcome all those watching online right now? Let them know you're glad that they're here, glad that they're tuning in. John chapter 11, we're concluding our series that we have been in called Seven Signs. This is the seventh sign we're going to look at today. We've been looking at these things that Jesus did throughout the, the book of John. Some were miracles, some were just actions, some were just different things that he did. And we're looking at beyond what he did, what, what he did speaks to. That, that what it speaks to and the sign that it points us to related to the heart of God, the nature of God, the, the kingdom of God, and our role in the kingdom of God. And today, as we close out this series, we're going to be looking at the resurrection before the resurrection. We're going to be looking at the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful for your word, so grateful for what you're doing in this church. Thank you, Lord, for being here, for being present in this place. And I pray, Lord, that you administer to each and every heart, each and every person in this room. I pray as we go into this week, Lord, like Pastor Josh Romano prayed, Lord, just use us. Use us in a powerful way. We also lift up all of those who this week have suffered devastation because of these fires, Lord. It's hit home. And, and, and Lord, we just pray that those who have been devastated, God, that you would help us to not only through our prayers, but through our, our actions to be able to reach out to them. I pray that if there's people that are away from you, Lord, that you would allow us to be used to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus and his love and uh, help us to see what we can do as a church, what we can do individually to minister to those who are hurting right now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so throughout this series, I've kind of been doing this a certain way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up for you today, though. We've been, I've been kind of unpacking the story, talking about some stuff in the story, and then revealing some of the signs at the end. But today I'm going to un- reveal the signs as we go, because I just felt like that's what this message Uh, lended itself to. So the first sign I'm going to give you, and this is kind of the overall big picture, overarching sign that we see throughout this, uh, in this story of the resurrection of Lazarus, and that is this. Okay, get ready to shout because it's good news. Jesus is the death-giving, death-killing, not death-giving. Don't shout on that. (laughs) Death-killing life-giver. Somebody say amen. He's the death-killing life-giver. Jesus has the power to put a death blow to death. Death is dead because of Jesus. And we could be made alive because of Jesus. He wants to give life to, uh, to the spiritually dead. And he wants to breathe life into those areas where we feel dead and buried today. That's good news. Look at this with me. John chapter 11, starting verse 1. There Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus, of Bethany. Pay attention to that. He's from Bethany. That's going to be very important and significant At the end of this message, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, in other words, they didn't go to him, but they actually sent messengers to him. They were staying with Lazarus because of the state that he was in, but they sent messengers to to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Okay, so here's the situation here. Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus isn't just sick. Lazarus is at death's door. Like he's not just dealing with an upset tum-tum here. Like things are bad. In fact, the word used for uh, sick here is the word that means to be weak, feeble, to be without strength, to be powerless. And if you study it out, it actually means that he was in such a state that he, was, uh, he couldn't move and he was actually immovable. So he was completely incapacitated at death's door in a bad spot. And so Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who have a relationship with Jesus, send a message to Jesus saying, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. In fact, but they don't just say that, they say, notice what they say, they say, uh, He whom you love is sick. So that that speaks to relationship. That speaks to a closeness. There's a closeness here in this relationship. And they're sending this message to Jesus because Jesus is the healer. Because Jesus has incredible power and they've seen that and they believe in Jesus and they're inviting Jesus into their circumstance. He whom you love is sick. Now you would think that after Jesus hears this that he would race off to help because that's typically what we do when we find out that someone that we love and we care about is, is suffering, right? I remember years ago, uh, my daughter, Bo, who just turned 12, she was two years old. So this was 10 years ago. It's crazy. She was two years old, and she had not been feeling very good and uh, kind of dealing with the temperature this whole day, and it was, it was bath time. Now, if you've got young kids, and we were in that, that, that phase, like we got little kids. I think Augustus was four, maybe five at this time. Bo was, was two, just turned two. They were little. And so, you know, when your kids are little, like, bath time is a whole thing. And you better have a system, or they will grind you down. (laughs) Like, you better, so we had a system, right? And in the system, uh, my job was to bathe the children. So we put on music, and we get the bath going, and we're having fun, and we're shampooing hair and doing the whole thing. And then I dry them off, I put them in some jammies, and then Sarah will, you know, brush out their hair. We brush teeth, we get them into their rooms, we read books, and we go to bed. System, right? Somebody say, system. Some of you people, you got little kids, you know, you know, they will get you if you don't have a system. So we have a system. So uh, Bo has, has been processed through the system and she's with now, she's now with Sarah. And I'm now in the process with, with Augustus. I'm giving him his bath. And uh, while I'm giving him his bath, I get, I, I hear Sarah yell my name. And when she yells my name, she yells it in such a way that like, I know something is terribly wrong. You know what I mean? Like you hear your voice. It's like, oh, this is not just like, hey, get in here. This is Let me show you something on my phone. This is like something is bad, right? And so I, 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 I leave where Gus is, and I go into the, across the hall to the, to the bathroom. And when I walk in, Sarah looks at me with like panic on her face, and she says she's not responding. And I look at my daughter, Bo, and she's in her arms, but her eyes are rolled back in her head. She's stiff, and she's shaking. And so I kind of assess the situation and very quickly go, like, get her in the car. Let's get to the hospital. I go in the other room. I grab Gus out of the tub. I start putting jammies on his wet body. I, we run downstairs. We're in the car. And I'm telling you, within like two minutes, we are backing out of the driveway, racing towards ER. We're making phone calls, letting them know we have a baby. She's not responsive. We're praying. We're calling family. We're saying, we don't know what's going on, but be praying for, for Bo right now. And we're doing all this. And all of a sudden, we look back, and Bo is just Normalized. And she's just sitting in the car seat kind of looking at us. I'll never forget looking at Gus, too, who has wet hair, pajamas just stuck to him with his blue eyes looking at me like, What is happening right now? <laughs> we get to the hospital, and uh, and they, they let us know. Like We tell them what happened. They're like, Well, most likely it was what's called a febrile seizure, which is... Uh, when a, a young child under two or right around that age, sometimes if they have a, a fever spike, it can cause them to go into the, to these convulsions. And they tell you it's, it's really not that dangerous, but man, it will freak you out as a parent. See your child like that? And I'm telling you, when she whom I loved was sick, and I didn't know what was going on, and I was concerned about her, her life and her well-being, let me just tell you, we were moving quickly, right? Right? Because that's what you do. And so Jesus finds out that he whom he loved is sick. And you would think that Jesus is going to you know, run out of this, this moment and go grab the fastest camel and, and, and book it to Bethany. But that's not what he does. Look at what it says here in verse 6. It says, so when he had heard that he was sick, look at this, he stayed for two more days in the place where he was. Not exactly the response you would expect from Jesus. But let me remind you something about Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit, and and he was led by the Spirit. And because he was led by the Spirit, he knew exactly what he was doing at all times. And so in this moment, Jesus doesn't go right away. Because, first of all, Jesus probably understood something, and that was this. By the time he received this message, Lazarus was probably already dead. The reason we believe that is because scholars say, that he was about a day and a half's journey away from where Lazarus was. We know he waits two days, so one and a half days plus two days equals three and a half days. And when he shows up in verse 39, they say, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So most likely either Lazarus has already died at this moment, or Lazarus is right at death's door. But that still doesn't explain why Jesus doesn't just still rush out. Because he could be there two days earlier than he shows up. Why doesn't he still just try to get there as quickly as possible. Well, again, it's because Jesus, led by the Spirit, who knows what's going on, also knows what he's getting ready to do. And in order for him to perform the miracle of resurrecting Lazarus from the dead and it not be excused away, he needs to wait till the fourth day. Because in, in Hebrew culture at this time, they had this belief that when a person died, that for three days, their spirit kind of hovered around their body. And, and part of the reason why they believe this uh, is because they had accidentally, through history, buried people who actually weren't dead. They had, they had buried people who uh, maybe were just like passed out or had gone into a coma, and then the person came back to life. And so they just kind of thought, well, maybe they weren't really dead. They just kind of their spirit left them for a little bit. And so, so they actually had a, a, this tradition: when someone died, they would keep going back to the tomb for the next three days, checking on them, like, hey, you still dead in there? Like. <laughs> And, and actually they would give a, a dead person, they would put a bell into the tomb with them. So if they were knocked out and they came to, they could ring the bell and be let out. Which by the way, like it would be rough being a heavy sleeper in the Bible times, right? Like imagine, I'm going to go take a nap, you lay down, you wake up in a tomb with a bell. Like not, not a good moment. But here's the point, on the fourth day, like if, if Jesus resurrects him before the fourth day, People would excuse it away by saying, well, he wasn't really dead. But by the fourth day, you are dead, dead. That's what they believe. You are truly gone. And so the miracle, in order for the miracle to really take place, Jesus has to wait. He's on assignment, and he knows what he's doing. So it says this, verse 11, after the two days, Jesus says to his disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. And the disciples who are constantly in a state of confusion, say this, verse 12, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. Notice Jesus already knows he's dead. But they thought that he was speaking about the taking, him taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them, plainly, Lazarus is dead, right? Because that's what Jesus has to do. So two days go by. They, they travel there. It's been several days, and now Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, Mary and Martha come out to, to greet him. It says this, verse 21, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Notice she's kind of hinting around here. What what can you do here? Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. She gets a little theological. Verse 24, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection the last day. She's like, "What, What are you really saying here, Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And man, I love that phrase because that phrase actually means I am the stand again power. I am the stand again power. And listen, if you've been knocked down in life, I want you to know there is power for you to stand again. There is power in the resurrected Jesus for you to rise up and have a firm footing, a firm foundation that you can stand from. Jesus says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And then Martha leaves, and Mary comes out, the other sister. Verse 32, then Mary came out where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him. Notice she says the exact same thing. Lord If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she says it from a different place. She says it from a place of being completely heartbroken. We know that because of what it says next. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we have the shortest verse in the whole Bible the verse that when I was given the option in sixth grade to memorize a verse for school, I chose this one. <laughs> Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So, so here's the second thing that we see in, in this story, the second thing that this sign of, of the resurrection of Lazarus points us to, and that is this, is that death is an enemy of Jesus. What we see here in this text is that death is an enemy of Jesus. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That, that word groaned there means that he had anger. He was filled with, uh, with, with outrage. There was an indignation in him. In fact, they, they say that this word was often used to refer to the snorting of a horse that was getting ready to charge into battle. That was the posture of Jesus when he hears this. So there's this anger that rises up in him. Anger, why? Anger because there's an enemy who's warring against those he loves. Who's the enemy? The enemy is death. The enemy is sin. The enemy is the grave. The enemy is Satan. And Jesus in this moment is outraged because his enemy is hurting someone he loves. And it says Jesus wept. Now when it says Jesus wept, it's not the same kind of weeping that Mary was doing. It wasn't this just overwhelmed by the emotion of this loss. It wasn't that, that mourning kind of weeping. It actually means he shed a tear. And that tear was connected to the indignation. It was connected to the groaning. It was this, it's this idea that he was sad mad. He was sad because someone he loved was hurting. And he was entering into that sadness with him. But he was still doing it from this place of anger towards the enemy. I love how this guy says it, B.B. Warfield, in his book, The Person and Work of Christ. This is so good. He says... Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. In other words, we're getting a glimpse into how Jesus is going to approach the cross and our salvation. When John does for us, in the, what John does for, does for us in this particular statement is to uncover to us the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation, not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe, Jesus smites in our behalf. Someone say, that's good. Here's what I want you to see. B.B. got it right. Death is an enemy of Jesus, not an ally. The Bible says in John 10.10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. The thief, it's talking about Satan, it's talking about the devil. If it steals, if it kills, if it destroys, it's not from God, it's from the devil. Death is an enemy of Jesus. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15.26, the last enemy to be destroyed, notice it's an enemy, is death. Death is an enemy of God. Death is an enemy of the kingdom of God. It is not the way God intended it to be. Death Destruction. This stuff, it's not from God. So death is a tool of the devil, and it's an enemy of God. And if it's stealing, killing, and destroying you, it's not from God. And here's why it's important for you to really grasp a hold of that. Because, because so often what we do is when we face heartache, when we t- face loss, when we face death, when we face brokenness, what we do is in that moment we begin to believe that that is a, is a sign of how God feels towards us. That that points to the heart of God, that our circumstances are evidence to how God feels about us. But I want you to know that's not the case. Jesus loved Lazarus. He whom he loved was sick, and yet Lazarus died. Why? Because John 16, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you're going to face stuff. There's a, there's a curse on this world, and it still exists in this world, and it will come against you, and it will try to get on you. Trouble is a reality of living connected to this fallen world. And in the midst of our trouble and pain and loss, it can be really easy for us to believe that our circumstances are speaking to the heart of God towards us. But I want you to know that's not true. Your circumstances don't define God's love for you. The cross defines God's love for you. Billy Graham said it like this. He said, God proved his love on the cross when Christ hung and bled and died. It was God saying to the world, I love you. Death is an enemy Of Jesus, an enemy that he was willing to take on and submit himself to. He went to the cross and he died a death he didn't deserve. Why? So that you through him could find life. He defeated death by submitting to it, overcoming it. So now we through him can defeat death. But you got to realize this, this death stuff, this brokenness, this hurt, this stuff, this is not from the Lord. This is not from the Lord. And here's the the, the third thing that we see through this sign is that Jesus wants to minister to us in our pain. That, yes, we live in a a world where you're going to face destruction from time to time. You're going to face pain. You're going to face heartache. You're going to face this stuff. And in the middle of that, Jesus wants to minister to you. He doesn't just want to just watch you suffer. He wants to minister to you in your pain. You know, pain is interesting. Chaos is interesting. Hurt and heartache is interesting because in the middle of it, it tends to lead us to some questions, doesn't it? You ever notice that? I I heard it said before that suffering always prompts heart-wrenching questions. And it really is true. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, when there's pain, when there's circumstances going on around you that you're going, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why I lost this person. I don't know why this had to go down this way. I thought it would be different. When you're facing that, there's some questions that come out of that. And we see this in, in Martha. Martha makes some statements, but in Martha's statements, there's some underlying questions that I believe that she's bringing before the Lord here. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think what she's saying here is, is I thought Jesus, I thought this was gonna be a certain way. And, and what if, what if you're not who I thought you were? What if, and I don't believe that Martha in this moment is questioning whether he's the Messiah. I think she's questioning whether The Messiah is the way she thought the Messiah was going to be. In other words, she's wondering, like, I thought knowing the Messiah meant that I wouldn't have to deal with hurt like this. And how many of us have been there before? I made Jesus Lord of my life, and now I'm suffering a loss. Now I'm suffering pain. Now I'm suffering this. Let me just tell you, it hits everybody. I never thought I would have to deal with a stillborn baby. I made Jesus Lord of my life. He's my Messiah. And yet we had to walk through that. I never thought we'd have to face a miscarriage. I never thought I'd have to face some of the betrayal I faced, not just in the world, but in the church even, guys. You never think this stuff is gonna happen, but then it comes, and when it comes, it it can be easy for us in that moment to go, I don't think you're the Messiah I thought you were, and for some people even, I don't even know if you're a real Messiah. I don't even know if this is true. I don't even know if this is real. I don't know if I even believe anymore because things didn't go the way I thought they would go. And it's in the middle of this that Jesus comes back and says to her with reassurance, Hey, I'm the resurrection in life. In other words, this may not have gone the way you thought it was going to go, but that doesn't mean I'm still, that God's not still on the throne. And if you'll invite me into this, if you'll welcome me into this, I can heal your heart and I can help you in the middle of your pain because I care about your pain. That's how Jesus reassures Martha. And then we have Mary. And what does it say? Mary is just heartbroken. So how does Jesus minister to her? He enters into some of that heartbreak with her. Jesus wept. And it's important that you see that. In that, what Jesus is saying to us is he cares about you. And he cares about your suffering. And when he sees you suffering, when he sees you broken, when he sees you in heartache, when he sees you suffer loss, his heart breaks too. Because he loves you. And he hates to see you broken. We have a God who cares. We don't serve a God who's some distant deity that sent the world to spinning and then checked out. We have a God who, who is actively aware of your situation and actively loves you and wants to help you. The Bible says in Psalms 34 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. He's near. You know, he was near in this story. He came right there and he was near, but how did they receive ministry from Jesus, Mary and Martha? had to go to him. The Bible says that Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's close. He's near. The question is, will you go to him? Will you go to him with your pain? Will you go to him with your questions? Will you go to him and sometimes just weep? Are you willing to go there? And, and, and go Because it's from that place that then he can begin to bring ministry to you. He can begin to heal your heart. He wants to heal you in your pain. The question is, are you going to him in your pain? It goes on to say in that verse... He's near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite spirit. That word contrite means that you've been crushed like dust. In other words, pulverized. So, so if you find yourself in that place today where you feel like, I've been crushed. I feel broken, and I feel broken beyond repair. Like, like, think about like a, a glass uh, cup that's been shattered, but it's put it to the point that it's been so mashed up it's like powder now. And we look at that and we go, it's beyond repair. Jesus says, I can save you. I can take that and I can put that, even that, I can put that back together. But he can't put that back together if you don't bring that to him. Jesus wants to heal you in your pain, but you have to bring it to him. He goes on to say this in verse 40. Am I helping you today? Verse 40, did I not say to you, Jesus talking, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So Jesus is like, this is the setup line right here. Like, get ready, guys. Something something big's about to go down. And then he prays. And then verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Here's the third or the fourth thing that we see in this sign is this. Jesus does the wow and we do the work. Jesus does the wow, and we do the work. Let me, let me explain this to you. Jesus does the one thing that only he can do in this situation. But everything else, he invites the people there to partner with him in it. You know, there's a lot of people involved in, in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. One person does the incredible miracle, but there's a lot of people that play a part in it. And Jesus, listen, he does the one thing that only, what, what can Jesus do that no one else can do? He can raise Lazarus from the dead. No one else can do that. But everything else that they can do, he invites them to do and makes them do. Let me let me show you this. The first thing he has them do is he says, identify it. Identify it. Verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see. Lord, they replied. Jesus, here, what he does, he invites them to show them where's the deadness? Where's the dead thing? And there's a question for you this morning where's the dead thing in your life? What's been dead and buried? Maybe it's a dream that you, you put in a tomb, you rolled a stone in front of it, You're, it's dead and it's buried, you, you, you laid it down, you said, that can't be resu- resurrected. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a, a connection that you have with a child. Maybe it's a connection that you have with a friend. Maybe it's it's a purpose for your life. Maybe it's it's related to your health. Maybe it's related to your mental health. I, I don't know, but what, what area... You find yourself going, that's dead, and that's buried, and I've given up on that. And Jesus may be saying to you, hey, would you invite me? Would you show me where that is? Invite me to that. Invite me to it in prayer and keep praying. Invite me to it in worship and lift up your hands and believe and worship in faith in spite of what you may feel. Invite me to it in worship and just see what kind of resurrection I can bring out of that situation. The second thing he says is expose it. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. So there's deadness behind, behind the stone. And he says, hey, I want you to mo- roll the stone away. Now, you've got to understand, these stones that were in front of these tombs uh, were typically these flat, round stones that would be kind of in a rut right next to the, to the tomb. And so the tombs would be used over and over again. And, and, but in order to move this stone, it wasn't a one-man job. You're going to have to invite some other people to get op- up close and personal with where the dead thing was. So you're going to have to invite some people, and there's going to have to be a coordinated effort with multiple people in order to roll the stone away so the deadness can come out into new life. So my question is, where's some deadness in your life that God may be saying to you today, hey, it's going to take some effort, and you need to bring some other people into this? You're going to have to get coordinated. You're going to have to invite some other people to get up close and personal with that area of deadness. I can't resurrect it until you roll the stone away. You say, well, but Pastor Josh, I don't know if I want people to get that close to that area. Like that, that thing. Maybe for you it's an addiction. Addicted to a drug, addicted to alcohol, addicted to porn. I, I don't know. If I, if I get somebody that close to that area to, to help me roll that stone away, I, like what if they reject me? What if they don't like me anymore? What if they look at that and they go, oh, this is no good. You know, that's what Martha does. She says, but Lord, it's been four days. He stinketh, Right. She's saying, hey, this is, this is going to be foul. This is kind of gross. This is kind of nasty. I don't know if we really want to go there. And maybe that's how you feel. Like, what if people think I'm nasty? What if people think I'm foul? What if this turns people off? Well, let me just tell you, it may turn some people off. But there are some people that God has designed to partner with you in rolling this stone away that will help you to be able to come out of that death into the new life Jesus has called you to. You can't do it on your own. Some of this stuff, you can't do it on your own. God is inviting you to invite people to help you. You don't just need God's power. You also need God's people. Somebody say amen. Amen. But you you have to believe that and expose that thing. And then it says this. Jesus says in verse 41, so they took away the stone. Notice group effort. Jesus called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. There's the miracle. That's the part that only Jesus could do. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, so they're invited back in, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus says this. He says, unbind him. Unbind him. I hope you know. Maybe you should know this from your own experience. And I hope you would remember this that just because somebody makes Jesus the Lord of their life doesn't mean all the dead grave clothes have come off immediately. And there's some people that are going to get saved next week. And a miracle is going to take place. They're going to be resurrected to new life in Christ Jesus. But there's still going to be some stuff on them that we as the people of God have to help them unwrap. We have to unwrap their face Some of them, their faces are covered. They see themselves the wrong way and they need need to get a new identity of who Jesus says they are. Some of them are trying to run the race. They're called to run a race. Jesus called us to a race to win, but they're so bound up with stuff and they need some people to rally around them, to help them, to unwrap themselves so that they can run that race to win in victory. Jesus is inviting us into that. Maybe you find yourself in that place today where you're bound up, you know there's some areas where there's still some deadness, there's still some stinking grave clothes on you, and it needs to come off. You need some people around you. You don't just need God's power. You also need God's people to partner with you, to help you, to remove that which is dead. That reminds me of James 5, 16. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. That that word healed means restored to be set free. There's restoration. There's freedom on the other side of partnership, not just with God, but with the people of God, with the church, with other believers. Jesus does the wow because he is the the death-killing life giver. But we got to do the work. We have to be willing to do our part so that the miracle can take place. And here's the fifth thing that we see in this sign of Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. And this is so good, guys. This is so good. Here it is. It's hard to ignore a dead man walking. Something hit me this week as I was processing this message, and that's this. Lazarus went back to his life after he was resurrected. Like, he had to go back to his hometown. He had to go back to his job. He had to go back. Like, like imagine this. I don't think we put ourselves in the shoes of like this would have been like. Imagine on Monday you go to a funeral and bury someone. And then on Thursday, you're at Target in the grocery aisle getting some Cocoa Pebbles, and you look over, and there they are. <laughs> you know what that's going to do? That's going to bring up some questions. <laughs> what in the world happened here? Yeah. You were dead, and now you're alive. Yeah. What, what, what is that? And it's gonna, you're going to have to come to terms with that. Yeah. Like there's going to be some form of new reality Born in your life out of that, right? Yeah. That guy was dead and now he's alive. How do, I, how do I deal with this? It brings us to a place of confrontation. Yes. And that's what, that's what Lazarus' life was. You see, uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was a sign, but from the dead raised Lazarus was also a sign. Yeah. Living and walking around Out of death into new life, that was a sign. And it pushed people to a response. And some people responded in faith. And some people responded in fear. Some people responded afraid of what they might lose. I want you to know, as a dead man walking, as someone who's been resurrected to new life in Christ Jesus, as you share that message, as you live out your life, some people it's going to stir them up in faith. But some people it's going to stir them up in fear. And there's going to be some resistance. Look at what it says here, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. They're seeing Mary and they're seeing Lazarus. It says believed in him. So there are people that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah because of Lazarus. Because of the sign of living from the dead, Lazarus. But it goes on to say this, but for some of them, they went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin were were the leaders of of like the Jewish uh, people at this time. They had the power for justice in all matters related to Judaism. So they had the power to, to punish people. They had the power to scourge people. They had the power to throw people into prison. They even had the power under Roman rule to actually have people put to death. So they're kind of the ruling authority in ancient Judaism. It says they have this meeting. Verse 47, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man, talking about Jesus, performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And here's the rub, look at this. And the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You see the fear? If if he keeps doing this, like, this is causing people to come to a decision. And if we allow this to keep going on, we're going to lose our stuff. And so they have more fear in losing their thing, losing their system, losing their way of doing things, than they have faith that he could be the Messiah. It says in verse 49, Then one of them named Caiaphas, this was the high priest of that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. This is an interesting verse, verse 50, because what he says here is absolutely true. It's from the wrong heart. But it's true. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die, talking about Jesus, for the people that the whole nation perish. And that's exactly what Jesus does. One man dies, and through him all may live. Verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid of what they're going to lose. Now, what's interesting here is This is actually not the first resurrection that Jesus has done, has performed. This is the third. There there are five resurrections around the life of Jesus, including his own. Uh, But this one is actually the third one that he does. So why now becomes the question. Like why is this now a problem? If he's done it before, why now are they having such an issue with this? Well, it's because of this. Here's a truth worth writing down this morning. Jesus has brought resurrection to their door. Jesus has made resurrection up close and personal. See, see, throw up that map, guys. This is a map of what Israel looked like at the time of Jesus. You'll see that it's broken up into these different areas. Now, up there at the top, we have Galilee and then Samaria and Judea. Galilee is where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. Most of his ministry was done in Galilee. He, in fact, he was called a, a Galilean rabbi. Because like 90% of what he did is up in Galilee. And the two other resurrections that he did uh, were done. One in Nain where he resurrects the widow's son. And Jairus' daughter is done up there. I don't know how well you can see it. But in that area called Capernaum is where that took place. So notice both of these resurrections have taken place up north. But now he's in Bethany down here. And Bethany where Lazarus is resurrected is two miles from Jerusalem. Where the Sanhedrin are ruling. And so these guys that are so into their control, you can see how this, you know, rogue Galilean rabbi up north doing stuff isn't that big of a concern to them. But now he's brought it to their doorstep. Now resurrection is right there in front of them. And, and people are starting to question what they believe and what they are teaching Because their whole system is based on hey, if you want to be right with God, you got to do A, B, C, and X, Y, Z, and one, two, three. And if you don't do it all this way through our system and connect with us and connect with God this way, then you're not right with God. And now they've got people that are going, yeah, but Jesus says that he's the Messiah. He says that he's the way. And have you seen Lazarus? It's hard to deny a, a dead man walking. And this is a problem. So it goes on to say this in chapter 12 of John, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews, notice a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. He was in Bethany. And they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. So they're going to kill Lazarus. He's going to die again, according to them. Why? Because this is this is not good. This large crowd, all these people—they're turning to him. They're going to turn away from us. We're going to lose what we have. We can't have this. For on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Here's what, here's what you see: Lazarus became a sign. Every time somebody saw Lazarus, they were confronted with who Jesus was and what Jesus was like, and what it could mean to walk with Jesus. Lazarus, resurrected Lazarus, was assigned to his generation. He served as an embodied witness of what Jesus was capable of. And listen, New Song Church. He was embodied witness of the resurrection power of Jesus for that generation. Now it's our turn. That, that through our life, people who are lost and broken and bound up in the darkness of this world, that they would not just see the love of Jesus through your life, but they would see the power of the resurrected Jesus through your life. That they could see what Jesus can do through your life. See, the invitation of Lazarus' life is that you and I are now meant to be modern-day living signs of the reality of Jesus in this world. That when people see you, they get a glimpse into what Jesus can really do in this world. Look at the person beside you and say, You're a sign. You're a sign. It reminds me, Ephesians 2 says this. It says, But God, being so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, the problem with sin is not that sin makes you bad. Sin makes you dead, right? We were dead in our sins. He made us spiritually alive together in Christ For by grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him, with Jesus, when we believed. And seated us with him in heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. How many of you have made Jesus the Lord of your life and because of that you are different, right? Right? And that's good news, yes, but it's more than that. It's supposed to be a sign to a generation. It's supposed to be a sign through which the resurrected power of Jesus can be brought to a crashing reality into someone's life. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes this. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors means that we're representatives of Jesus Christ. We're representing a new king and a new kingdom in this world. God is making an appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Listen, we are people speaking on behalf of our Savior and our Lord. Jesus says, remember Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. you guys remember that? But he also says, you're the light of the world. So what is it? Is it it him or us? Well, it's both. It's Christ in us, as the Bible says, the hope of glory. It's Jesus' light being lived out of our life. As he's lived through our life, as we live at our life, practicing his way, pursuing him, living for him, it's out of that that people can see the reality of who God is. Jesus in you and through you sends a message. And that message says this, at last the wrongs can be made right. Someone say amen. Amen. So you as a believer can be this living embodiment of the power of God in this world, of the life of God in this world, of the love of God in this world. As we move into this week, this passion week, my, my prayer is that you would be filled with passion. Passion to take this message of Jesus, take this life that you found, take this relationship that you found and bring it to somebody else's door. That the hopefulness that you found in Christ would crash into somebody else's hopelessness. That the life you found in Christ would crash into somebody else's death. That the freedom that you found in Jesus would crash into somebody else's sin and being bound in their, in their struggle for whatever it is that they're dealing with. That we, through Christ Jesus, could bring the resurrected power of Jesus to someone's life. Because, listen, it's hard to deny a dead man walking. And you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. You were once dead, but now you are saved in Him. So let's go out, church. And let's be bold, and let's bring, bring this resurrection power of Jesus to the world around us. Jesus is the death-killing life giver. And man, that's good news, isn't it? With Jesus, death is dead. And there's a world out there bound in death that needs the message. And you are the messenger. You have the message. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful. As we move into this week, God, we're so grateful for the life of Jesus. We're grateful as we look at this story that you pulled Lazarus out of death and that he became this sign. And Lord, we we pray that we would be that. We pray that we would be used by you to be a sign. Lord, I pray that as we move into this week of passion, God, stir a passion up in our souls to go and, and to bring this message, this life. And not just this week, but in the weeks and months ahead. God, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be a living embodiment of the resurrected power of Jesus to this world. In Jesus' name.